One, two, three, four. Screen time, screen time, screen time, screen time. Screen time. It's my screen time too. Screen time. Hello, and welcome to It's My Screen Time Too, the podcast where two moms review the best and worst in children's programming. From Netflix reboots and YouTube shorts to Disney classics and Pixar blockbusters. We watch, you listen. Find out what you can tolerate watching for family movie night, what to avoid altogether, and what you'll want to watch alone voluntarily. I'm Katie. I'm Deborah. And I have two kids, Jay, he's seven, and Kenny, he's four. And I have three kids, Tony is 12, and Libby and Nate are nine. And they are so adorable, aren't they? So adorable. We tell a quick story about how awesome or occasionally awful our kids are up at the top, because in addition to being witty and incisive pop culture consumers, we're moms too. Katie, startup question for you. Did you ever play with makeup when you were like elementary school aged before you really wore makeup? Honestly, very little. Okay. How about you? I loved playing with makeup. Like my mom had a stash of old makeup that was very fun to play with. And I had a friend whose mom had been like a beauty pageant contestant when she was younger. And she had like boxes of makeup (laughs) that I loved to play with when we were at their house. So I get wanting to pretend that you're wearing makeup, but I picked up Libby from school yesterday And at recess, she and her friends had been smearing dirt on their faces and pretending it was makeup. So her face was like all dirty. And she had like gone through the whole afternoon at school like that. And this is not a story about how cute my kids are. This is like inexplicably why are, why is your face covered in dirt at the end of the day? It's not makeup. Okay, two questions. <laughs> what is it with teachers that like they can't just tell our kids to wipe their faces off? Like it's not like no adult noticed. Right. I don't know. Is it prohibited in some way? Like I mean, my kids are young and they are constantly coming home with just like grime caked on their faces <laughs> from like something yeah. as simple as uh, here's a reminder to use a napkin when you're eating your sandwich. Well, it's been really dry here. Like we're in a drought, I think still. And so everything is just kind of dusty and dirty anyway when you go outside. So maybe they just thought it was just like the topsoil blowing off the playground. (laughs) I I don't know. Maybe all the kids, all the kids (laughs) look dirty. I don't know. But I think maybe I need to get her some like wet and wild eyeshadow. I think it's time. fulfill that need without smearing like anthrax laden topsoil onto her eyelids well I mean there's your signal it's time (laughs) she's ready (laughs) how about your kids what disgusting or adorable things have they been doing this week did you ever struggle when Tony because Tony was your first and then you had the twins did you ever wonder when Mm -hmm. telling a story about the twins if you had already told the same story about Tony Oh, gosh. I think I do that a lot. Okay, good. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so we have been reading, Kenny and I have been reading The Day the Crayons Quit quite a bit lately. He's very into it right now. It's an adorable book, listeners, if you haven't read it. Do I have to announce spoilers about a children's picture book? 
No. Okay, so one of the final pages that always cracks Kenny up <laughs> is the peach crayon who is sitting in the crayon box and embarrassed to come out because his owner has peeled his wrapper off and he is <laughs> naked. <laughs> And the whole conceit is the crayon is writing a letter to his owner saying things like, how would you like to go to school naked? <laughs> and Kenny just thinks it's the funniest thing in the world to the point where he almost has that page of the book completely memorized. And sometimes during downtime, he'll just recite it to himself oh, quietly. And he's not really talking to anyone else. Mm-hmm. But we had some friends over at the pool the other day and Kenny was sitting like on the edge with his feet in the water, just like happily babbling away the story about the naked peach crayon. And the <laughs> other kids were so confused to the point that they came to me and they said, we don't get it. Kenny keeps saying he's naked. He's not <laughs> naked. What's going on? <laughs> And he's just doing a monologue from the day the crayons quit. (laughs) Did you show them the book? I actually didn't because they were older kids. They're like more your kids age. Okay, that's funny. Yeah. So should we talk about HBO Max in our screen time in the news segment? Yeah, I'm really excited to hear what you have to say about this. I know we're a little late to the party, but I think it does bear some discussion. Scathing article from the Onions AV Club about how HBO Max kind of pulled a bunch of animated movies and shows off of their streaming service with no regard to whether or not it might have been some child's favorite show because it was just like, uh, this is not profitable anymore type of move or we can make more money somewhere else. This article included some tweets from like the creator of summer camp island which is a show that i haven't watched but now you can watch now (laughs) and now i can't i don't know it's too bad i know one of the shows that is on the list was esme and roy which we watched for the podcast which we liked there were a lot of other shows that looked good there's some sesame street content that's no longer longer going to be on hbo max so it's too bad and it just shows how hard it is for art and capitalism to coexist mm-hmm. and this is age old right because mm-hmm. there's like executives up at the top and their money is not to like foster creativity their job is to make money so like they are just doing their job they're not like being mean although it is kind of mean the way they did it. What did you think of this article and just the whole shutting down of streaming content? I feel like at this point in the age of streaming media, there is kind of a contract of trust mm-hmm. between the viewers and the the streaming hosts that the content will remain available. There was that initial period where I felt like I still needed to be hoarding DVDs, but I've moved well beyond that now. Mm-hmm. And it it's kind of an interesting question. I mean, obviously, logically, it's never a good idea to put your trust in a giant corporation. But I feel like there are a lot of ways they're shaking up the streaming business model 
now that it has aged into its maturity and we're seeing it for something other than this great convenience for consumers. Like now we're in the age where it really is just a product and it's being treated like a product. And that applies to other things like all the shakeups on Netflix with the people being hired and then abruptly fired. And uh, it's just an interesting time to be a streaming consumer. It's really sad for the creators of these shows. We know just in our time reviewing kids content that animators are traditionally not paid as well. The work on animated content and especially kids content is not as valued financially so this has got to be a blow to all those people that at least they could say you know here's my content here's where you can find it yeah and I think this is just one more sign that the golden age of streaming is coming to an end like it was really good for the pandemic years and I'm thankful for that but this is like I don't know if we have the benefit of like perspective and it's always disappointing to see like a show that you really love to get canceled and then there's going to be no more seasons and this is just sort of like streaming's version of that like a show you love to watch over and over again and now you can't anymore it really kind of harkens back to the early days of dvd box sets where suddenly there would be a show that you loved from your childhood and you would go to the Best Buy and see, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, I can buy season three of Beverly Hills 90210 and own it. Mm -hmm. Um, Because you know, I was never with it enough to be like recording my favorite shows on VHS and then keeping them. So when we were young, like converting them. Yeah. (laughs) And when we were, so when we were young, there was that period of time where like content was inaccessible and there wasn't necessarily that expectation But really, once DVD box sets started rolling out, there was a certain amount of comfort that like if you loved a thing, you could find it again. And it wasn't necessarily your responsibility to be on top of, Mm -hmm. you know, curating a historically accurate picture of your media tastes. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. It's sad. Not a good look, HBO, for sure. Not a good look. Yeah. Do we have any follow-up from our last episode? I have some really important follow-up from our last episode. Ooh. So we watched Junior Baking Show, Junior Bake Off, and Deborah, you were saying that you learned something from one of the contestants, and that was if you want a moist cake, you should split your butter and oil. So I made banana bread over the weekend and I did, you did do that. It? I did. And you know what? It was the most moist, bana- the moistest. And hmm. <laughs> it was very moist banana bread. And so does your recipe normally call for just butter? Mm hmm. Okay. Oh, interesting. So did you just do like half and half? I just did half and half. And I will tell you that I cut the very last piece of banana bread today. It's Friday. I baked the banana bread on Sunday. So that's really late to like, I didn't have to freeze it and save it for later. A, it was delicious. So we ate all of it. And B, it's still as moist as the day it came out of the oven. Oh my gosh. I can't wait to try this. That's amazing. (laughs) Awesome. Great news. So there you go. (laughs) (laughs) There's some happy news. 
All right. Hopefully moving on to more happy news. Today's topic is the new movie on Paramount Plus, Secret Headquarters. It was released on August 12th. It is rated PG. It has a runtime of one hour and 44 minutes. At least we're staying under that two minute dreaded mark. Mm hmm. Uh, it was directed by Henry Eust and Ariel Schulman. Uh, their biggest credits that I could see are that they're the team behind the 2010 documentary Catfish, and they also directed Paranormal Activity 4 in 2012. They've worked steadily as writers slash directors slash producers since then, but those were just the biggest projects that I recognized. I wrote this before I watched the movie, and I have to say that when I saw their names, it gave me pause. Because they don't have a history with children's media. And Mm -hmm. the adjective that I think of most when I think of Catfish the movie and Catfish the later television show is smug. So I was very worried that that would come across in this movie. And we'll probably get to talk about it a little bit more. But just seeing those directors associated with it, I was a little worried. So they also co-wrote the script with Christopher Yost and Josh Koenigsberg. Koenigsberg, let's say that. Yost has a ton of experience writing superhero content, including several Marvel shows and Thor Ragnarok. And Koenigsberg wrote for the High Fidelity remake a couple years ago. Did you watch that? The one with Zoe Kravitz? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I watched like the first few episodes. It wasn't a hit for you? I think it wasn't a hit for... Jeremy. Okay, yeah. <laughs> that happens. <laughs> Secret Headquarters has a 44% fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes as of this recording and was given this funny piece of praise in the summary of critics' reviews there, and I just was so tickled by it that I have to read it. Quote, there are far worse family viewing options, end quote. <laughs> wow. So yeah, glowing. Yeah. <laughs> The very similar sounding 2020 My Parents Are Superheroes movie called We Can Be Heroes, which I think we've talked about a little bit on the pod, even though we didn't review it. That one stars Pedro Pascal and Christian Slater and has a whopping 74% fresh rating, which begs the question, did we need another entry in this genre? So I'm sure we'll get into that more later as well. Basic plot summary A group of friends discover a secret superhero headquarters under one boy's house, which leads them to suspect his dad is a superhero. Of course, all sorts of mischief ensues. We picked it because we saw the trailer for it a while ago, and we posted it on our social media feeds, and we said it looked interesting. So we want to follow up there. And we are, in general, pretty fascinated by the phenomenon of actors of a certain age suddenly headlining children's shows or movies because it's a way for them to get their kids to know and appreciate their work. Let's talk about our general thoughts. Let's do it. How about the concept and plot? Did you like it? Deborah. (laughs) Listeners, you are very aware of my superhero fatigue right now, so I was not at all excited for this and I have to say pleasantly surprised how about you yeah I thought it was a fun plot 
I thought even though it's kind of a could have felt really formulaic, it felt fresh, even though we've seen this type of story a bunch of times before. But I love any movie where kids are kind of thrown into an adult role like Goonies where they have to figure things out on their own or like space camp where they have to fly a rocket ship and land it back on earth. So this one was like, they're stuck in this underground thing and they have to figure out all the superpowers and the source of energy. And um, I thought it was fun. Agreed. I don't know if you felt this at all because you are most, you are much closer to this time in your kid's life These kids were supposed to be like 14 years old, right? So young Mm -hmm. teens. And I know that the research says that their brains are not developed at that age. Mm -hmm. And even though Jay is seven and I love the fact that as he gets older, I'm able to talk to him a little bit more like he's a reasonable human being on planet Earth. Mm -hmm. Some of the stuff these teens did gave me such anxiety. And I know science says, like, they're not adequately able to evaluate the consequences of their actions. But, oh, man, it stressed me out for them. It stressed me out for my future as a parent of teenagers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But their behavior, let's just say, in the secret headquarters was quite reckless. Quite reckless. Yeah, for sure. So back to the question from the intro, do we need this when other similar movies exist? And did you think it brought anything new into the hero genre slash conversation? I'm going to come really close to throwing shade on one of my favorite genres in saying this, but I think it was helped along by the fact that it didn't look like a Disney movie. It looked like a real theatrical release movie. So Mm -hmm. it took the content and the setting more seriously, I think, than Mm -hmm. a lot of the other kids' movies that came to mind, which I thought was refreshing. Yeah. And it is a superhero movie, but it's also at its core about this father-daughter, father-son, excuse me, relationship where the son feels like his dad isn't paying enough attention to him and he just wants to go camping with his dad and like the son feeling neglected by his dad is like tale as old as time right yeah definitely the bad dad reformed trope mashes up with the superhero trope yeah and as long as there are parents and kids there are going to continue to be stories like this and I thought that this was a well done take on that classic theme so you said when we picked it You gave some good reasons. I have to say that I mostly put this on the watch list because I love that very one scene from Dora the Explorer movie with Michael Pena. And because he was in this, I was like, I really wanted just like an hour and a half of him doing like the rave music. (laughs) I was thinking this morning as I was prepping to record that if I could get a tattoo of a gif on my body, that's what it would be. It's so funny. I sometimes just watch it with my kids just if we need a pick me up. Um, And I have to say, we're going to talk about the cast and the characters. He was so underutilized or underused in this movie. I felt like there were some scenes where he was given 
like a little bit of improv opportunity and like they like didn't pick the funniest takes or maybe his character just didn't have like the best scripted lines but like he was adequate but there was nothing stand out like in the Dora movie I think it was a bad fit between character and actor yeah because he's supposed to be like the evil guy yeah and (laughs) not evil funny in his actions but then he would have weird funny Michael Pena style asides it was a bad fit like he's supposed to be funny and he has like extended dance sequences but then he Mm -hmm. also murders a guy in cold blood Mm -hmm. It, it was strange tonally and I think you're exactly right it just doesn't it doesn't fit. Yeah. Okay. Did you have any standouts um, that you particularly loved or hated? I thought the kids all performed admirably. I recognized the main little boy, Charlie, who was played by the actor Walker Scoble from mm-hmm. the Netflix movie, The Adam Project. We didn't cover that from for the pod, but did you watch it? I have not seen that. Is it good? It was fine I mean it's mostly a Ryan Reynolds vehicle okay and I wonder when this was recorded in relation to that because I feel Mm. like I saw a couple Ryan Reynolds takes from this kid and I wondered how much of that had rubbed off um yeah but he was adorable and sincere in all the appropriate ways. The actress that played Claudia in the Dear Departed Babysitter's Club show on Netflix Mamona Tamada played oh gosh what was her character's name Maya Mm -hmm. and I thought she was great as like the unattainable cool girl and then Keith Williams as Charlie's best friend Berger was maybe the standout for me I thought he was so funny and he reacted in a believable way to the bizarre situation yeah, he's a really good actor, and his, I mean, that was just a really good character, too. And I loved the the actor who played Lizzie, Abby James Witherspoon. Um, the internet says she's the niece of Reese Witherspoon. Oh, I did wonder at the Witherspoon name. She had a lot of um, comedic moments. Yeah, she did a really great job of humanizing the kind of ditzy cool girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally, totally. And then I thought the dynamic between the two brothers, the Big Mac Burger's big brother, I thought that was funny. Yeah, that was a cute <laughs> rapport. Oh my gosh, and then when Lizzie, because Lizzie is like hiding this relationship, and she just has him plugged into her phone as older guy. Did you catch that? Which is so the move a young teen would use on her phone. Just so everybody who saw her phone knew who was calling. This is my older boyfriend. (laughs) I thought that was funny. Um, Okay. Is Owen Wilson, is this just me or is he a little old to be playing the dad? It's like he could totally have a kid that age. I get it. He's a famous, famous actor. But if he were a woman, he would be playing the grandmother. Oh, that is this is I'm exactly this is criticism right. yeah. where my voice is getting quieter. He would be playing the grandmother. If <laughs> yeah, he were a woman. Rooftops, he would. <laughs> <laughs> His presence in this movie is explainable because you know, you need a big star. 
Mm-hmm. And if you want to play a superhero on screen, as far as preparation for that goes, this is like the lowest effort superhero ever. Like, it's not like mm-hmm. he had to adopt a rigorous training regimen or mm-hmm. commit to a nine picture deal with Disney. Mm-hmm. And now he has a superhero picture on the books and he can share it with his kids. I do think he has kids around this age. Mm hmm. I didn't think about it at the time, but now that you've mentioned it, I am retroactively very angry. (laughs) And part of it is just like, I am feeling older, not in a negative way, just in a neutral way. Like when I see kids that are being dropped off at school and they're like your kid's age and the parents are younger than me, I just realized that I'm middle-aged that's Mm -hmm. fine yeah (laughs) but I wouldn't be cast as somebody's anyway yeah no nor would I anyway the thing I thought he did well was humanize the bad dad trope his interactions with Charlie before he became a superhero really grounded his character in a way that I think a lot of movies that use this bad dad trope take it all from the kid's perspective And we are all in on what a jerk the dad is. Yeah. But in those early scenes, you can really tell the love that he has for his son and the good rapport and his good intentions. So I thought that's maybe a little something that he brought to the role with his Owen Wilson-y charm that maybe another actor wouldn't have done. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, you have a lot of empathy for him because, you know, he's like saving the world and he's not forgetful. He's just important. (laughs) So let's talk about the look of the movie. Where would you rate the look on a scale of superhero TV for kids like Henry Danger to blockbuster movies made for theaters? All the way up at blockbuster movies made for theaters. I no longer understand the calculus in terms of what movies get released in theaters versus direct to streaming because... Effects quality-wise, for a kid's movie, I thought this was right up there. And I don't know if it was originally made with the intention of releasing it in theaters, but the effects were better than they needed to be. Yeah, and it was kind of a cool superhero power. Like, there's this ball of energy, and it was totally believable when they're passing the ball around and hiding it and stuff like that. And then there's, like, the force field thing. Yeah, it didn't feel cheesy or fake. It felt good. The stuff that went on within the titular secret headquarters where they're playing with all the alien-powered technology and all the fun gadgets, Mm -hmm. I thought that is where the look of the movie really excelled. When it came to the bigger effects that happened kind of more out in the real world, like You know, the initial discovery of the alien ship and, um, spoiler alert, the ultimate showdown in the school gym. Like, some of those bigger, more spectacular effects shots did kind of pull you out and make you say, oh, no, wait, this is a kid's Mm -hmm. movie. What did you think about the writing? I was pleasantly surprised that it wasn't as smug as I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. based on the directing and writing team. There were some moments that I thought, are these people really familiar with the youths? <laughs> <laughs> and 
at one moment, Berger was using his phone to record himself, and he was play acting like he was hosting an episode of Cribs. Is Cribs still on, oh, Deborah? I have no idea. Would a kid be like watching old episodes of Cribs? I don't. I just don't buy it. Yeah, that's a good point. The integration of non-swear words was really poorly done. There were some <laughs> very glaring uses of shoot and dang mm -hmm. that just, again, pulled me out of the reality of the world where, come on, you could have just used like a well-placed no or something yeah, that would have felt a little less phony. And again, such care and attention taken in the writing to not use curse words but then this weird disconnect between the real peril of the villains who are, again, willing to commit murder. And yes, that murder does not like we don't see the bullet go into the character's head, mm -hmm. but you do see them talking, the gun pointing, the sound of a gunshot, and then the guy is dead on the ground. Mm -hmm. It just it, For me, it, that was startling. And I think... I think the movie would have been just as good if you had shaved off a little of that. I mean, you can still have the kids feel like they're in peril mm -hmm. without being that explicit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. High stakes. What did you think of the writing? I, all of your points are really good. Um, I wasn't really paying attention to the same things that you were. I don't think the script was surprisingly good as always, it helps to go into something with low expectations because <laughs> then you're always like happy um, that it turned out better than you thought. But to me, every joke really landed. I thought it was really funny all the way throughout. And um, there's like a really good runner where at the beginning, there's like a set of like state patrol traffic cops who are clocking speeds and that like showed up and escalated a few times throughout the script. And then like the last one I thought was just hilarious. I thought that there was going to be more of a like climate tie-in with the energy source. Because oh. it was like this mysterious energy source. But then I was like, not everybody is obsessed with the world burning up like you, Deborah. So <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> Um, but overall, I thought it was good. What did you think about the structure and the length? Fine. I, I wasn't like actively put off by the fact that it exceeded our 90 minute sweet spot. The one point where I felt like things dragged for me was there was an unnecessarily lengthy fight scene towards the end between Owen Wilson and Michael Pena. And I understand they were trying to give Michael Pena some time to be funny. Mm -hmm. And there were like some funny bits about it. But when the whole structure of the sh of the show, <laughs> of the movie, was about these kids taking on these grown-up roles and uh, kind of telling the story from their perspective, I just didn't feel invested in what was going on. Like, you could have shown me that fight scene in five seconds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fight scenes aren't really our thing. Agreed. Should we move on to Evergreens? Let's do it. Were you able to compare this to any movie or TV show made for grown-ups? I kind of went with the uh, like son searching for the dad's approval, the absent dad, the fraught relationship. So it made me think of the Royal Tenenbaums. Ah, oh, Wes also. Anderson. How I mm -hmm. hate that movie. Mm -hmm. 
and Luke Luke Wilson is is a prominent character. In that. Oh, that's true. That's true. How about you? I just couldn't get away from the just glut of other superhero properties that it could be compared to. Mm-hmm. Um, were you able to cast the gritty HBO reboot? So we talked about the Babysitters Club alumnus. Is that the singular mm-hmm. of a female alum? Alumna? No, is that plural? I don't oh, know. I think that's. No, I think. I don't know. <laughs> okay, so we <laughs> talked about. <laughs> we talked about the actress from the Babysitters Club that was in the cast. And I thought it would be fun to just bring all those super competent girls together. Because, as we all know, the Babysitter's Club are very high-functioning teenagers. They would never be so careless with that technology. And they would be smart enough to secretly use the gadgets for their own evil ends. Plus, it brings that group of girls back together, and I just love their chemistry. I would like that. That would be good. How about you? Ooh, what if they did, like, a Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants? With, like, this glowing energy source? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was a good movie. I would cast, because it's been, like, two or three episodes since I've done this, John Cho. I would cast him as Irons. Irons, we didn't really talk about Jesse Williams. He's the Grey's Anatomy actor, and he played, like, this, is he good, is he evil type character. I think John Cho would do a good job as, is he good, is he evil? I would make it a little more queer and I would cast Neil Patrick Harris in the, the role that, uh, of Charlie's mom, but that parent who's like the steady, reliable parent who remembers all the birthdays and keeps track of all the school supplies. And then I would cast, um, Sarah Ramirez also from Grey's Anatomy, who was just on um, And Just Like That. And I would cast her as the Owen Wilson character. Well, she clearly needs some rehabilitation after her role as the much maligned Che... What was her full name? (laughs) Anyway, the internet (laughs) hates that character, so she could probably use a superhero arc. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Do you think it was better when we were kids? I guess I haven't thought this one through. I think this is a great addition to kids' movies. I think we actually had more of those satisfying movies where kids were forced to take on kind of dangerous adult roles. Yeah. And that's a symptom of how parenting and childhood has changed since we were young. And I also just am frustrated by the fact that it always has to be superheroes now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I'm right. going to say that even though I liked this, I my nostalgia may make me feel that it was better when we were kids. <laughs> Would you ever watch this alone voluntarily? No. Would you? No. 10 seconds on whether this is good for our kids. Did you watch it with your kids? I did. And I think that's partly why I liked it so much because they liked it. So then it was a great family viewing experience. Everybody was having fun. We were talking about it. We shared the togetherness. You weren't just <laughs> scrolling your phone during family movie time. Right. <laughs> right. How about you? 
I this just continues the fact that I was pleasantly surprised. Jay was very into it and very excited. Kenny too young and uh yeah I would almost wish that we had enough time and space to be watching I could be watching a movie alone with Jay without having to worry about Kenny's reaction but I would say yeah seven is fine because the kids are 14 and it very much fits in the aspirational teenager category mm-hmm. and there's just a lot of gags right ratings ratings I would say four and a half. I'm going to give it a four because I like to be meaner than you. And I obviously did have some quibbles. But on the whole, this was unexpectedly fun. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of It's My Screen Time 2. If you enjoyed our show today, please share it with someone you think might enjoy it too. You can find us on all the socials like Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at My Screen Time 2. Or you can send an email to us at myscreentime2 at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your show or your movie suggestions, article recommendations, or general comments about the show. Our website is myscreentime2.com. Our theme music was composed and performed by me and my adorable children, and our podcast is produced by Katie. Tune in next time for more real talk about the movies and TV we watch with our kids because we have to, and sometimes because we like to. Bye! Bye. Bye.